I have two words for you. Do you know what they are? Connie and Chung. Connie and oh, Chung. Connie, Connie Chung is your girl. Chung. <laughs> mm, Connie girl. Let's get into it, shall we? <laughs> Hi, Jillian Mazzavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. Oh, my goodness, you guys. If you want more of the GP and me, and who would blame you? It's been a minute. It's been a minute since I've said <laughs> it's been it. It's whole two weeks since you said and it. And honestly, who would blame you? You guys, join us on the Patreon. Over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes. Download a bitch right the second. You get them all. I was realizing the other day, that's more episodes than we have on our regular feed. Somehow, we've outdone oh. ourselves with the Patreon. Steve, I need help with the math. Steve? <laughs> <laughs> but you guys, we're talking Night Stalker right now. We're in the middle of, what's it called? Relentless? We're, uh, oh, Relentless, which I oh have to tell God. you, the Facebook group has lost their minds. The internet, <laughs> they are obsessed with this. We also just did Lula Rich. <laughs> yes. We did the Gacy thing on Peacock. Oh we my did God. Oh, Murder Among the Mormons. Remember that? That always gets left out of this list. And then all of like the classics. We did The Staircase. We did Lorena. We did- oh, The Jinx. The Jinx. Oh, Robert Durst is dead, girl. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Fuck bye. off. <laughs> bye. I feel nothing. <laughs> you guys, join our Facebook group, and I have a reason why this week. Number one, I want you to meet Sasha. She runs our Facebook group. She's incredible. She runs a tight ship, you guys. It is super fun. You go there to meet your true crime best friends. Sasha keeps it fun and keeps it easy and makes it so there's not drama. Here's the thing. What? We are playing Broadway on April 11th. Here's the thing. I know a yeah. lot of you ordered these tickets a year and a half ago when we had our first April before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I know there's been a lot of confusion. We are going to have a pinned post in the group. If you're looking for tickets or if you have to unload your tickets, it's going to be pinned in the group. Sasha's going to help moderate it and help connect people. The last thing I want is a single empty seat. If you have tickets you can't use anymore or you want tickets, go to the Facebook group and get in the pinned post and figure out what to do to get yourself to our Broadway show. Yeah, and this isn't about making a profit, okay? Not, Sasha's on top of it. You guys, We're not, it's not about that. You guys, You're not selling them for 800 bucks and who would fucking <laughs> pay no, it, honestly. No, no. <laughs> no. Just, it's what you paid and just, yes. you know, and also making friends and if you're going alone and you want, you need a buddy or oh whatever, God. it's all there. And as we get closer, we're going to make all kinds of meetups and fun things and hangs and all that for the Broadway show. It's going to be bonanza. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Oh God, I should rehearse. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> All right, girl, what are we talking about today? We are talking, I have to, I'm just going to be honest with you. I am sitting crotch first right now and I've never done that. I'm like man spreading like crazy right now. I don't know why. Uh, I just needed to get that off my chest. I, got, I am sitting crotch first. While we're talking about it, can I just mention quickly, there's a Todrick Hall song called Purse First. And it's like, uh -huh. purse first. Pur and like talking about how like everybody should walk into a room purse first. Daisy yeah. will walk around our home with her purse quoting the Todd Call song Purse First. Daisy walks everywhere purse first. For more parenting tips, follow us on Twitter. <laughs> so what's anyway, this called, girl? It's called While He Was Sleeping. Not the Sandra Bullock movie? No, that's While You Were Sleeping. Okay, great. <laughs> Very two incredibly different stories. Actually really could not be more different. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Sleepwalking? The trial was a sensation, not because of the crime itself, but because of Scott Belater's defense. He was sleepwalking. 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 Like the plot of a science fiction movie. Oh my God, he put her head underwater. A lot of suspects might say, no way, you got the wrong guy. Scott just keeps saying, I don't remember. 
Scott Flater, you know, made a statement, you know, I hope you don't think I'm a bad guy. You just killed your wife. That's pretty much the definition of a bad guy. I went to bed as a 12-year-old kid. And I woke up to a police officer telling me that my mother died. So, look, before we get into it, we open with, like, home videos of these people on, like, a weird camping trip in the rocks in the mountains. Yeah. They are pretty rocks, which is why people come here. There's our driver. (laughs) Start her up, Mike. You guys want to get together for a big old group shot? Yeah, we can do that. What's happening? They're doing the outside and loving it. And God bless them, I I guess. (laughs) We do get... On the coming up on one of our hosts, we have a lot of talking heads here, a lot of I hosts. I know. I wrote nobody's name down. I can't do it. With the 2020, there's so many. Except for Connie goddamn Chung. I mean, Connie Chung is a goddamn legend. Her yeah. name writes itself, Pensavali. Absolutely. Google Docs is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It just <laughs> auto-fills it in. Oh, I'm sorry. Look, I just got to say one more thing. Because it's a modern day 2020, but it's flashing back to 99 when Connie Chung did the original 2020, mm-hmm. we get so much of Connie Chung in the late 90s. This was the era where Tanya Harding- Tanya and Nancy. She couldn't walk into an interview with Connie that she didn't walk out of. Yeah. She walked out of every interview. Exactly. Exactly. Every time we see Connie Chung in this, I'm thinking, what'd she have for breakfast with Maureen Povich? And did Tanya just walk the fuck out of an interview with Connie? She either just left Tanya Harding or Tanya Harding is going to meet her later for an interview that Tanya Harding will walk out of. Call us, girl. I need a cocktail with Connie. How have we not gotten in touch with Connie Chung yet? Put that on the agenda for our next meeting. Oh my god. Which is tomorrow. Um yeah, so okay, but we great. get there's a host, one of the hosts, and because it is a present day 2020, we we're getting a lot of like Zoom interviews out because yeah. of the pandemic. So the host is like, Hi, can you see me, hear me? We good? Okay, great. So you've been behind bars since you killed your wife. Is that right? And I'm like, this is gonna be nuts. We're talking about sleepwalking, but also we hear the term shark attack, so who knows? I really I, know. I have no idea what's going on. He was reminiscent of a shark attack. You guys, I'm going to say this right up front. This guy is full of fucking shit. This guy is full full of shit. shit. (laughs) And those quote experts give me a break. We're going to get there. I hate this fucking guy. I hate him. The Philader family is living in Arizona. Scott Valader is a successful engineer. He's working at Motorola. Yarmola Valader pretty much is in charge of the kids. Not on. Yes, it is. <laughs> Michael is 12. He's your typical boy. And then you have Megan Valader. She's 15. Scott and Yarmola have been happily married for over 20 years, and Scott calls her Yarm for short. So we learn about the Filator family. They're living in Arizona. Scott, the dad and husband, is a successful engineer. He works for Motorola. I agree that that was a high-stress job back in the day, <laughs> making the world's first flip phones. They made the StarTac. Do you ever have a StarTac cell phone? No. It was, <laughs> but I was, I but I was in a Motorola commercial. <laughs> you were? Yeah. Oh, and on an episode of Saturday Night Live with Nicki Minaj. Yeah. You did it all. And now you get to co-host a podcast with me. Is there anything you haven't it's done? It's a star-studded, glamorous life. <laughs> I gotta tell you, 
Um, but he, when they when I heard Motorola, I was like, okay, so this is not happening in present day. Got it, got it, got it. So we meet this fucking asshole, and then we meet Yarmala, his wife. She's in charge of the kids. At the time of the murder, I'm calling it a murder. Yes. Michael, their son is 12. They, he's described as your typical boy. I said whatever the fuck that is. Also, uh, they call her Yarm for short. I think that's important yes. because you're going to hear the word Yarm a lot, and that might it, it's an unusual name. I'm not making fun of it at all. It's truly just for context. Of course, her name's of course. Yarmula, they call her Yarm. And then the daughter, Megan, is 15. And so we learn that Scott and Yarmula have been happily married for over 20 years. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, like, in all the shit that emerges, we never learn about domestic violence. We, I don't know. He definitely did this, and he knew he was doing it. when, it, when it, He admits he did it. I know. But, like, I think he was fully cognizant. I think he fucking I knew everything he was doing. I agree. I don't know why. And I and I will end this episode not knowing why. Yeah. We do meet, we meet Joel uh, Phoenix PD, and he... He tells us Tierra Bueno, that's Spanish for good land. It's a, it's a residential neighborhood, middle class. Northeast Phoenix at that time had a reputation to be a very safe, quiet community. We don't usually respond there. It's not a, a high crime area we normally work. They live in uh, Tierra Bueno, which means uh, <laughs> Spanish for the good land. And I'm like, if you're in Phoenix, you have to I know. You have to say that better. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but we learned this neighborhood is middle class. It was very safe. Although they say at the time it was very safe and not high crime. I feel like Tierra Bueno's maybe changed a little bit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I just have like, it's not a high crime area. I'm like, I know 2020, it never is. No one locks their doors. It was a perfect family, super religious until there's a fucking murder. Then why on 2020, Scott? <laughs> I know. I'll ask every time. If you could see her face when she says things like that, you could see, you would really know how much she means it. She really means it. So, again, the setup for this is that 2020 originally covered this case in 99 when Scott was 12, but they're covering it again now. So we literally cut from a shot of Michael the son at age 12 to Michael today. Yeah. And it's very jarring. Because it it's like, oh, shit. Like, a, a lot of time has passed. In 1997, I was 12 years old. My father was hard at work. He was a product engineer for Motorola. Religion was always important to my family. We were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He was teaching early morning seminary. So he would wake up and he'd be teaching the seminary at 6.15. He'd drive my sister to school and then he would drive to work and he'd usually be home for dinner. Michael, the son is here today to tell us that religion was always really important to my family. Again, I ask, was it? (laughs) I know. Um, The thing is, we learned that they were Mormons and we're going to find out they weren't always Mormons, but at the point of the murder, they were Mormons. And the dad woke up every morning to teach seminary at 6.15 a.m. I said, that's early for Jesus. Yeah, like like early for Jesus, but also it's pretty early for (laughs) Jesus. To be clear, it's late for me, but it's early for most oh, people. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> um, but so, like, you know, <laughs> once again, if you could see her face, you'd know how much she meant that. We get she it. She really meant we get it. it. You're up early. <laughs> so am I, but you didn't hear me bragging about it. <laughs> So January 16th, 1997, typical Thursday, Scott has a long, grueling day over at Motorola. After dinner, I went and worked on the computer to prepare for the next day's church class. And then the kids went to bed at nine o'clock. It's been a long day at work. He's prepping for his religious education class. And now his wife wants him to go fix the pool filter at nine in the evening. That is a very long day. 
We got to talk about this because, look, I mean this in all seriousness. I'm not bragging when I say that my day starts at 4 a.m. and usually ends at like 8 or 9 p.m. Scott talks about his grueling day. Like he's curing cancer also in a steel mill in the coal miners. Like, Scott, it's not that hard. I'm sorry. No, you're making cell phones and teaching Jesus. You know what I mean? Like at the height of cell phones. You're a celebrity. He like wakes up at a reasonable hour and is home at a reasonable hour. And they're going to use this whole thing about like he was over exhausted and over stressed at work. Scott's lying about all of that. His life is not that hard because he comes at 5.05. There he comes. There's a home-cooked meal on the table. After dinner, Scott goes to work on, quote, the next day's church class, which feels like what you and I would call it, not knowing what it is, like a church class. (laughs) That's me going into the office to make myself a drink, being like, Daisy, Steve, working on tomorrow's church class. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm, going to be in here by myself for a while. You know how Dean Martin wouldn't drink during the Rat Pack shows, but he would act, he would pretend he would drink. He would have like apple Uh juice. And when he would go over to the bar, He'd say, oh, it's time to make myself a salad. And that was a whole bit. Make himself a salad. You are the most wonderful and strangest person. You know the weirdest shit. I'm a weirdo. It's just, I gotta live. I gotta lean into it. Crotch first or otherwise. It's happening. So it's nine o'clock. Here comes that goddamn wife of his asking him to fix the pool filter. Doesn't she know what a long day he's had? You know what, Yarm? Does Scott get any me time? God damn it. Does he have a minute to himself? He just walked in the door four hours ago with that home-cooked meal. was delicious, but God damn it. Can you get a moment of peace for the love of God? The thing is, we're joking about it. This must have made him really fucking mad. Or what happens next, which is like, he goes out, he's the man of the house, and he can't figure out how to fix the fucking pool pump. No. (laughs) (laughs) Pool pump, yet another gay bar we simply must open. Where are you guys going for happy hour tonight? Pool pump. The, oh, we're going to the pool pump. Where else? Bottoms up at the pool pump, you guys. Oh, see, that's the, that's the shirt. <laughs> we're very good at this. So Scott <laughs> tries to fix the pool pump. He ends up breaking yeah. it, whatever. So now I'm like, is this one of those like weaponized incompetence moments where the, the man of the house is just like, I don't know, like just to get out of doing the job. Is that what's, I don't, what happened? I mean, that sounds about right. But also I wrote, why does anybody have a yard? Why do people want yards? Pools are a lot of upkeep. Yeah. It's a lot of work. They said that about kids. I didn't believe them. I was dead wrong, girl. <laughs> I was right. Once again. Right. My wife was asleep on the couch with ER on television, and I woke her up and kissed her goodnight, apologized for not fixing the pool filter, told her I'd get to it the next day, and went to bed myself. I was really exhausted and crashed in bed. I would guess it was between 9.30 and 10 o'clock. So it's like 30, 10 o'clock. Scott is just exhausted. He's worked himself to the bone at Motorola. And he goes to sleep. And Yarm is on the couch watching ER because it's 1997. And then we're told Scott and Root to the bedroom leans over to give her a kiss and tell her like, I'm so sorry that I couldn't fix the pool pump. I'll get to it first thing tomorrow. This is all a lie. This is right. how I know he did it. This is how I know he knew he killed her. Why are you so mad? Yeah. But also like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then because he also says, then I kissed her and I went to sleep by myself. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. I'm sorry, but like anyone who's been married for any number of like, I give Steve kisses all the time, but I'm not like leaning over and waking him up to give him a kiss goodnight after I just failed at the pool pump. (laughs) By the way, I would never strike out at the pool pump. You You always, you are always bad a thousand at the pool pump. Greg Coons and Stephanie Reedhead, the next door neighbors. Oh, My God, if they don't tell the story at every cocktail hour. Greg and I were getting ready to go to bed somewhere 
a little after 10 probably, 10, 10.30. And then I heard moaning or crying or something. And then I told Greg, I think it was something outside. We just really didn't want to be nosy neighbors or be, you know, eavesdropping. But Greg thought, you know, hopefully this isn't something bad happening. And, and so he went and looked over the wall. She says, you're getting ready to go to bed. 10, 1030 sounds a little late to me. She hears moaning and crying coming from the next door. And she literally says, like, we didn't want to be those nosy neighbors. Stephanie, now's the time to be nosy. <laughs> moaning and crying. <laughs> unless unless they maybe, like, they weren't humping. No. It's pretty uh-uh. clear it wasn't no. one of those. Is that Are those sex sounds no. or is she crying? <laughs> no. no. Be oh, nosy. <laughs> yeah, be nosy, Stephanie. Well, luckily, like, she sends the husband down. So Greg leans over the fence connecting the yards and he sees Yarmula's legs. He thinks she's passed out drunk. They're more. I was like, look, if I'm your neighbor, that's a fair assessment. Yes. But like, yes. unless Yarmula has a tendency to come home and pass out at 9.30 by the pool, could you go fucking check on the lady that's basically dead on the patio? So then some reporter's like, time passes. Yeah. Cool. So Scott comes out and the neighbors are watching all this, I yeah. guess. Scott comes out, drags. This is so Horrible. Yeah, this is Scott is the Motorola guy. Yeah, yeah, the murderer. Yeah, I'm saying murderer. Yeah, sorry, lawyers. My opinion <laughs> is that he's a murderer. So he drags poor Yarmula to the pool by her arms and then rolls her body into the pool. Now Stephanie, the neighbor, who's the worst neighbor I ever, know, I know, is I like, know. oh, I think he's just trying to wake her up to splash water on her face. And to which I say, people, can we just assume the worst for once? <laughs> if you know. assume the worst, it can save a life. Like just Stephanie. Also, like. Like she doesn't want to be nosy or assume the worst, but she's been watching this for an hour and, uh, and a half. more than that, he rolls her body into the pool. Then he holds her head under the water. And rather than going over there and stopping him from fucking murdering this woman, she just goes and tells her husband, who in turn does not go over there to stop him from killing this woman. He calls the least interested 911 operator I've ever fucking heard. 911, but it's I don't know. My neighbors, there's a bunch of going and screaming and going on. I looked over the fence, and the husband just I believe the wife just and looks like she's holding like she's holding her underwater. Hey, what's the emergency? And he's like, I don't know. A whole lot of yelling and screaming going on. And like also the husband threw his wife in the pool and is holding her underwater. Those are the words you're looking he for. He describes right? this woman being drowned in a pool. Yeah, the cops show up. It's chaos down here, Tom. And not a single cop then or today gets her fucking name right. Her name is Yarmula. It's not it's that hard. It's not hard. Yarmula. It's- and ask somebody. You're sitting with 2020 all these years later to tell this woman's story. Get her name right. I know. And Scott, the husband, is nowhere in sight. This cop sees sees Yarmula floating in the pool and he describes like a pink color but then he goes to pick her up and that's when like the pool gets really bloody and this is what he says I've never seen a shark attack but I've basically seen Jaws and this is what that looked like Sergeant Stanowitz he was addressing Yarmella Filater and, and that's when I first saw Scott Filater I saw him from outside I approached the Arcadia glass door that was partially open we stepped in and from what I recall, almost immediately, I, I recognized Scott Filater at the top of the stairs, wearing a crisp white T-shirt, red flannel, pajamas. And he made remarks to the extent of, what's going on? What are you doing in my house? Why are you here? Scott's like, excuse well, what? 
What on earth is all this racket? What is happening? And then it cuts to Michael, the son, remembers a cop waking him up, saying that your parents just got into a fight. Then another cop storms in and they're like, oh, not only was it a fight, but your mom's dead now. And then turns and walks Horrible. out. I know. Your mom died during this argument. Oh my God. Can I ask you a question? Who fucking trains these people? Like, where is the child psychologist who should have been on scene? This was 1999, not 1899. I was just going to say, how many times do we hear this where it's like, that's how, even Keith in a recent Dateline was like, I'm sorry, that's how you heard about it? That's how they broke the news to you? Yeah. It's horrible. But there, there are a lot of red flags here, not just the fact that Scott is a murderer. But <laughs> one of the, the red, I mean, right, one yeah. of the red flags is the cops say to Michael, you know, your parents got in a fight. And Michael's like, that's super weird because my parents have never fought. They've never even once disagreed ever. And I'm like, that's a big red flag. Yeah. Because I'm not saying everyone has to be fighting all the time, but like everyone's person is annoying sometimes. Like you bicker. (laughs) It doesn't have to be knockdown, drag out fights, but this this is a theme. Like even Yarmala back in the day, everyone's like, they never once were anything less than 100% in love with each other 100% of the time. And that's weird because it's not true. It's It's impossible. It says two people who like dearly love their spouses. <laughs> right. Just because sometimes Mike is annoying doesn't mean I love him any less. Like I'm a nightmare too. Like it's fine. <laughs> no, you're always right. You're always right. I'm on your side. Oh, oh, thanks. So they've got Scott in custody and they take him down to the station and we see it. We see this interrogation video. Obviously you think I did it. I don't know what makes you think that. Well, because I had a neighbor staring at you watching me do it. That's why. I'm sorry, it all looks so fucking fake to me. Yeah. One person is interpreting it as like, he really doesn't know what happened. He's being told your wife is dead and you did it. And he's like feigning not knowing what happened. But then somebody else is like, no, he was like a fucking caged animal. Looks to me like he's been caught in a trap trying to figure a way out. He got caught and he didn't have an answer. And like, that's what it reads like to me. He is trying to think of what to say and doesn't know it. He does look like he wants to crawl the fuck out of his skin. Yeah, he's never denying it. And he's not shocked that this is what happened. Because at one point he's like, oh, I see the word homicide over there. Am I to assume that Yarm is dead? I'm like, that's how you... I know. What? So I know. It's so weird. But his whole thing is, I don't remember. I'm sure that happened if that's what you're telling me, but I don't remember. Because they also say, he's like, how do you know that I killed her? And they said, because we have neighbors who saw you do it. And I was like, doesn't that put the neighbors at a little bit of risk if you're telling the fucking murderer that the neighbors turned him in? Shouldn't you not do that? Yeah, they should have also done it about 45 minutes earlier. But Greg, Stephanie, (laughs) You're not on trial here. I'm sorry. (laughs) This interrogation is unusual. A lot of suspects might say, no way, you got the wrong guy. I would never. But Scott just keeps saying, I don't remember. I'm sorry. I don't remember doing it. You remember more than that. But it is just a weird response to constantly just say, I don't remember. It's like he knows he's going to use the sleepwalking defense and he's hedging his bets and planting seeds. It's odd. Let me say this one thing, because I was listening to a podcast recently about a guy who had amnesia. It's a great podcast. It's called Crime Show. It's a Spotify original from Gimlet. And there's a guy who was wandering around, I think, Cincinnati for like two days and didn't know who he was or like had legitimate amnesia. He was in a hospital and people were trying to help him and everyone felt really bad for him. 
him. When they realized who he was, they realized he was the man who had committed this atrocious rape and near murder of this woman. And his own actions had been so bad that it caused him to have amnesia because that's what happens. Like amnesia is the result of trauma. Usually it's from the victim, not from the perpetrator, but it can happen that way. And one of the statistics they gave was something like one third of murderers claim and like are substantiated that they actually don't remember all of the element. Like they don't remember the crime. Like it was so traumatic that they blocked it out themselves. So like, I don't think it was a result of sleepwalking. I think he murdered his wife and maybe truly was having an amnesiatic moment or whatever. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm just saying him not remembering the crime does not mean he was sleepwalking. Does does not mean that he shouldn't do the time. Right. Is that what you're going to say? <laughs> and that. Because I don't and care. That. Like, I, I don't care that they were so traumatized by the rape and murder. Oh, no, like, oh my God. Of course, of course. But I'm just saying he could be telling the truth about the amnesia, but lying about the sleepwalking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fuck him. I know. Strangely, there is no blood on Scott's crisp white shirt or his red pajama bottoms, but Detective Norman sees some on his neck. I'm sorry. I didn't know there was blood on me. He didn't know it was there. No. I was thinking you didn't take good enough shower. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. There's no blood on Scott's clothes, but there is a little bit on his neck, kind of like of the, uh, ah, Mr. Spot variety. Exactly. And so the cops are like, why are we wasting our time even questioning him? This is open and shut. Yeah. This is so obvious that he killed her. So basically they photograph the blood on his neck and the cut on his hand. They swab it for DNA and wish him luck finding an attorney and off they go. <laughs> and, and one of the cops who's here with us today, his name is John. He's like... The only thing I believed about his story that was his name was Scott Filator. Pretty much. Yeah. I didn't need to hear any more. He's arrested and charged with first-degree murder. If convicted, he's potentially facing the death penalty. And all I can think about is the kids. All I can think about is that, like, the mom is dead, and now the dad's probably going to be sent to the fucking gas chamber or whatever. And, like, whether he gets the death penalty or not, they lost both of their parents. Yeah, their lives are ruined, ruined. and they lost both, hands down. In 1999, almost two years after Yarmula's murder. The stories that touch your life. This is 2020. 2020 producer Janice Tomlin and correspondent Connie Chung went to Arizona to cover the Philater story as Scott was awaiting trial. Connie Chung is a fucking national icon. Where is she? Where is Connie Chung? Where is she? And we hear, too, they were like, this was such a big story that 2020 covered it almost exclusively, yeah. like, for years. <laughs> it's kind of the only thing they had going on. But it's also, like, exploitive. Like, Connie Chung yeah. is there for a fucking jailhouse visit with the children. They staged a visit with his kids. Like, the kids wanted to go for the visit, but 2020 made the visit happen. And, and then Connie sits down with the kids, and it went, fucking go easy, Connie. Oh, my God. Because within 30 seconds she is saying to the children so you guys let's talk about the let's talk about the death penalty you understand that that's a, a, a possibility here michael are you aware of the fact that if your father is convicted of first degree murder that the prosecutor could ask for the death penalty yeah. i just have connie with all of these exclamation points like oh my god i know and the their mom is dead. They're desperate to save their dad. Yeah. Who doesn't remember anything? Like these kids, and I'm going to say this, and I don't mean it as shade at all, but it's like these kids even today have to tell themselves whatever they have to tell themselves to not also lose their dad in a worse way. Like they already lost them, but like they just need to sleep at night. And this is what they're telling themselves. I don't know. They believe that everything was perfect. They be At least at this point, they believe that their dad is like 100% innocent no matter what. And like, what else do you do? You're 12 years old. You're like, what do you do? I can't imagine. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, now we have to get the Scott Filator story. I literally said, do we have to? Are we really going to do this now? Not really. Okay. I mean, you know my <laughs> view on this. <laughs> they, they, he was a Mormon and then he wasn't. He fell in love with Yarmula. She was way out of his league, much better than, than him. Oh, is that, no, that's my version of the story. Sorry. They were both the first person that the other one dated. They were both raised Catholic, but then one day he discovered the Book of Mormon and converts to Mormonism, so she joins him. He ran into some Mormon missionaries and they jumped ship to join LDS, which is like exactly the point of the missionaries. That's exactly what those Mormon missionaries want. They did it. So now we're flashing back to a trip the family took like right before the murder. The Filator family meet up with their extended family members from California in Sedona, Arizona, (laughs) and they take what's called a pink Jeep tour. Do you remember that trip? Yeah. Tell me about it. I remember me and dad having a lot of fun just like getting bounced around in the Jeep. Michael Filator described that day as one of the most fun days in his life. They take what is called a pink Jeep tour, and I said, that sounds gay as hell. <laughs> yeah. Are you interested in going to Sedona now? It's suddenly very interested. I'm just wondering if you get to stop at the pool pump for happy hour, or how does that, yeah. you know what I mean? To go, do they have to-go cups in totally. Arizona? Or is it like New Orleans at all? No? <laughs> the pink Jeep tour. Sign me up. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to do it. It's like a tour of like the back country of Sedona, and I just imagine that it's run by homos, and they're just like, hey, get on my fucking, yes. get on my fucking Jeep bag. To which Scott is like, this is not what I signed up for. I'm an executive at Motorola. That trip happened like days before the murder. And the whole point of showing those home videos is Michael, the son, is like, I remember that as being one of the happiest days of my life. Right, right, right. So now we come back from a commercial and like five, six, seven, eight, we're into the trial, which I appreciate 2020. Thank you for just giving it to us. Yes, I know. I was like, is this one of those things where it's a weird coming up on and then it's going to jump and I feel like I took the wrong notes? No. But we're at the trial because it's a goddamn circus. Why? Because Scott's big defense is sleepwalking. Authorities say Scott Filator stabbed his wife over and over and then held her head underwater. But in a bizarre twist, he is not denying it. You have to know an intent to kill somebody to be guilty of murder. And he was in an unconscious state when he killed her and therefore was not guilty of the crime. This comes out of fucking nowhere because they describe the murder. We haven't mentioned it. Yarmula was stabbed 42 times. To be stabbed 42 times, that's a rage killing. You know? Oh, yeah. And then held her head underwater. Like, God, it's so horrible. But it is. You're absolutely right. It's aggressive. It's like, this is a lot. There's a lot happening here. Yeah. And we're going to unpack it in a second. But, like, they go to the day that the neighbor Greg was on the stand. And they say, like, he did not see the initial attack. He did not see the stabbing. He only saw Yarmula once she was laying on the ground. And one of our talking heads says, like, nobody presented any evidence about the stabbing. So, like, that is kind of a big thing. We don't know when it started. We don't really know what happened. The prosecution is able to sort of surmise that based on where the stab wounds were, that he was holding her down with one hand and like wrapped his arm around her with Uh. the other so she couldn't scream as he stabbed her 42 fucking times. Are we not going to talk about the prosecutor? It's Juan Martinez from Jody Arias, who is now fucking disbarred for being a creep and a nightmare. But he's here. I got to say it because everyone's screaming about it in their cars or doing their laundry or whatever. And the thing that Greg, the neighbor, describes is that after he sees Yarmula lying there, he sees Scott, the murderer, go into the house. He's up in the bedroom pacing back and forth. He's basically saying this guy wasn't sleepwalking. He was doing things. And he sees him at one point, like, wringing his hands as though he had just washed them. 
them. He comes back downstairs out onto the pool deck where he puts on gloves right. before picking Yarmula's body up, putting it in the pool, and then holding her head underwater. It's all very deliberate. And the thing is, this Greg character is a fantastic witness because Scott's whole thing is, I have no idea. So Scott yeah. can't even contest this. So Greg gets to form the entire narrative, and he does. <laughs> I, I wrote in my notes, Scott's like, I don't know how this happened. And Greg was like, girl, I got you. Yeah, oh, oh, oh me, like, me, 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 me. I know. I know what happened. Greg Coons was the bombshell witness because Scott said he had zero idea how any of this happened. You had one person who was able to testify, this is what I saw. And a lot of the things that Greg Coons saw were damning. And so we get Michael Kimmerer, who's yep. Scott's defense attorney. That's his name, Kimmerer. And today, Michael is like, well, gosh darn it, we've just got to get to the bottom of this. I am perplexed. Michael, please. I know. And he's like, yeah, look, we never disputed that he stabbed her 44 times. We just don't really know why, you guys. Uh, and so really, the prosecution is kicking ass. They have a great witness. They have that blood evidence. To them, it's like, this is a slam dunk. So yeah. then we like cut to intermission, and now it's act two, and it's time to the defense to get up on to the stage and do their thing. We meet Scott's sister, Laura, and uh, she's here. I, uh, I and the mother, whatever her name is, Lois, Lois and Laura, what a dynamic duo these two are. Uh, she's like, look, his attorney was going to plead the insanity defense, and she's like, but my brother's not crazy, though. And then the mother magically remembers out of nowhere that when Scott was a teenager, he used to sleepwalk. As I sat and thought about it, I remembered several instances where he did walk in his sleep and then laura is like after i googled sleepwalking i actually um i have some more information and the sleepwalking memories are just flooding back and then they're like oh you know like the time he got himself fully dressed for school in the middle of the night or uh -huh. the time he was stark naked and you know what else is interesting thank you so much connie for asking <laughs> says lois the mother but the most interesting thing is that he never remembered anything he did nope. isn't that funny and then laura goes oh i know mom and hey how about that hilarious time he violently attacked me wasn't that a gas <laughs> and also weirdly didn't remember that also i didn't remember that until two minutes ago when i made it up i mean when i thought of it when i remembered it and she said i just picked her up and threw her across the kitchen i don't remember that incident at all he looked just so angry he looked almost demonic he just was i have never seen him look like that Never. Laura's like, he looked demonic. I'd never seen him look like <laughs> that. He picked up Laura. I know. And threw her across the kitchen, allegedly. And Lois calls the incident the family joke. And I'm like, yeah, sounds <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's all preposterous. And the fact that, like, you would think that when Scott's at the police station, if this were all true, he'd be like, wait, is it possible that I was sleepwalking again like I used to do all the time when I was a kid? This never occurs to anyone. Because then they're like, and actually, another parallel. <laughs> this is so funny that this is all coming together like this. But the attack where he, he threw Laura against the refrigerator or whatever, he was also really stressed out. He was 20 years old. It was about two months before he and Yarm were going to get married. He was getting ready for either midterms or finals at school. 
He was under a lot of stress. He just looked really tired. He would get circles around his eyes. And it was really, really stressful. And wouldn't you know it, Scott's job the night he murdered Yarmula was also very stressful. He was just spread so thin. So this is the thing. They're saying that people who sleepwalk, that sleepwalking is caused by stress and exhaustion. And remember, he's getting up to teach the Jesus classes at 6 in the morning or the whatever? church class. Yeah, even though he's up at 6 and he's home for dinner at 5, the guy is fucking exhausted. Also, that's your choice, Scott, to teach that class. You can say no and sleep in. And also, like, I'm sorry, but, like, you're working an eight-hour day. Like, if I haven't killed anybody and I'm on my 16th hour today, so I, it can be done, Scott. We're going to be fine. And he was also super stressed because he was working on a project at work and that wasn't working and it was going to be scrapped. And they're just, they're looking for a way for their story to fit what we know to be true about sleepwalking. And at this point, I said, like, look, I understand the things that sound ridiculous can actually be true. I just need an expert. And it was so weird to me that 2020 had not presented us with a single fucking expert and it didn't feel like they were going to. And then we go into commercial, we come back, we do 15 minutes of like what you've just seen, and then bada bing, bada boom, we get some experts. They have a genetic defect in the brain between deep sleep and arising into dreaming sleep. That defect means they can get up and not be awake and behave strangely. They're enormously strong that it's not just one stab wound, it's 44 stab wounds. Another thing that's common is they don't recognize the person they've attacked. There's no face recognition. We go through this whole thing of like, we didn't really know anything about sleepwalking. We knew it from like the honeymooners and uh -huh. family matters and people walking with their arms out and this big myth about never waking a sleepwalker. Have you ever sleepwalked? No, no. I did it once. Really? I was in college, according to my mom, and I got up out of bed, ran like a bat out of hell downstairs into the kitchen and just stood there in the dark. And my mom was like, hey, girl. <laughs> hey. And I was like, yeah, Hi. we just got to go to the thing. Or she was like, okay, how about we go up back to bed? And I didn't murder anybody. And it didn't happen before or since. But I want to say, I believe that this can happen, that like you can try to wake a sleepwalking person and they can attack you or whatever. There is dramatic evidence here that that is not what happened in this case. And no. we'll get there in a minute. So Scott is telling Connie Chung that it was an accident. And she's like, Scott, girl, level with me. 44 stab wounds. And then you held her head underwater. And Scott goes, well, I didn't plan it, Connie. <laughs> and she's like, you know what? I get enough of this shit from Maury Povich at home. I don't know from you, Scott. I just left that Harding. That She's another one. That Tanya about an hour ago. Cut me some slack, Scott. So Scott is like, okay, fine. To put it to rest, he volunteers to do a sleep study. Oh, my God. For four nights where everyone's yeah. watching him overnight. Nothing comes of it. It's a big nothing burger. And I'm like, I thought Scott was going to at least pretend to be violent. At least pretend to sleepwalk innocently and calmly. He does nothing. He sleeps soundly for four nights. And Jackie, the sleep technologist, is watching him also falling asleep because it's so boring. <laughs> At least you make I know. it, Scott. What are you doing? I know, but the thing is, they bring in these experts, and these two experts, Roger Broughton and Rosalind Cartwright, they are like the top of their game because they just were expert witnesses in a case in Canada. The two had just finished working on a sleepwalking defense case in Canada where that defendant was acquitted. During the trial, five psychiatrists testified that Parks could have been sleepwalking when he drove from Pickering to Scarborough and killed his mother-in-law and wounded his father-in-law. 
This guy is saying he was like sleepwalked to the car where he sleep drove to his in-laws house where he sleep murdered them and then he was fucking acquitted, you guys. So now these experts have all the credibility in the world because they can point to that and say, see, we just did this case and this guy was acquitted. So that's what they're going to try to get the jury to understand. I feel like, I mean, no disrespect to Canada, but I feel like they're just too nice to convict people there. Uh, Like, come on, Canada, what did you do, girl? Canada is lovely, I have to say. We were there. I agree. But you got to take a long, hard look at yourself, Canada, and maybe revisit this case. He sleep drove and then sleep murdered. Come on. I mean, he sleep. Mur- it's horrible. And like that, those poor, pa- like, it's just no justice was served there. But now these people, again, they come in like they're the white knights, these saviors of uh, they're going to get Scott off with a sleepwalking defense. And they're, what their whole point, these experts are saying, like, their theory is he was sleep deprived and stressed out. He rose in, in like a sleepwalking state. He, he went out to finish the pool pumping. His, his, his intention, his sleep intention was to actually fix the pool pump. Come on. At least say that he was like aimlessly walking around. Now he's like such a good guy. He's going to fix the fucking pool pump. Come on. She went out there and disturbed him some way. And it may have just been nothing more than putting her hand on his shoulder. You know, honey, come back to bed. He sees her. Not as his wife, but as some threat that his instinctual brain responds to while he's asleep. And he decides to dispatch the threat. And they say that she probably woke up, saw that he wasn't there, went to find him, did something even as like innocuous as like just touching his shoulder and being like, babe, come back to bed. And that it triggered him and he totally freaked out. Now, look, scientifically, it sounds outlandish, but possible that maybe this all happened. He freaked out. He had a knife. For some reason, he's holding a fucking hunting knife. We'll talk about that later. He stabs her 44 fucking times, but then he had to have snapped out of it because he's like walking around and then he comes back down and picks her body up and puts her in the pool and drowns her. This is where the break is for me. The first thing, maybe. The second thing, absolutely not. Right. I also don't appreciate the victim blaming because they're like, everybody yeah. knows it's really dangerous to wake a sleepwalker. So Yarm had it coming. <laughs> Fuck off. Don't do that. If you're gonna if you're gonna try to defend him, then make it about him. Don't right. say like everybody knows that and Yarm did like come on. No. And then we're back at the trial and the homicide cops are on the stand. They say, Oh, and by the way, while we had him down at the station for the interrogation, we went into the garage and they open up his car and they find a secret compartment where he has taken a Tupperware container container, folded all of his murder clothes, put them in the Tupperware container, and hid them in the car. With the hunting knife, by the way. Do you recognize it? Uh-huh. What is it? It's the hunting knife that was found inside the Tupperware container. That was the murder weapon. Voila. There we are. Everything we're looking for. We just hit the jackpot. So now the prosecution is like, now this is even easier than we ever thought possible because it it is so clear that he wasn't like, I don't remember. I don't know. You wouldn't be that aware. Even one of the defense's own experts says, that did give me pause. Now now, now that you mention it. He goes, hiding the murder weapon is unusual for a sleepwalker. I will admit that. I know we're going to get some shit from some people who like really think this is possible. This case is not possible. I do think that sleep sleepwalking is real and sleep violence might even be real. I believe that that is a possibility. I don't think that's what happened here. It didn't happen here. And that's what they're saying. They keep coming back to like the first act of violence, maybe the second act of violence and then like fucking changing his clothes and showering and hiding the fucking murder weapon. No, absolutely not. They have this sleep expert for the prosecution, Dr. Mark Pressman. He's kind of edgy. (laughs) He doesn't take any shit. He's like, this is all ridiculous. This trial is a waste of everybody's time. And he goes, don't believe me. Look at my list. He has 
47 yeah. itemized different very specific things that prove that he was completely aware of what he was doing. So the kids take the stand. That's bad enough. But then fucking Scott takes the stand. And like they say over and over again, this never happens. You should never take the stand in your own fucking murder trial. Right. I literally made the popcorn. I was like, oh, I shit. <laughs> chomp, chomp, chomp. Here we go. I couldn't knowingly kill her. No one deserved it less of anyone that I know than her. The hard questions come during cross-examination. Prosecutor Juan Martinez tries to show that the later marriage wasn't so happy. He's crying, crocodile tears, whatever, yeah. blah, blah, blah. No one deserved it less. The perfect marriage, not so much. Because then they get a co-worker up there. And the yeah. co-worker testifies that Scott called Yarm, quote, dumpy. And the quote is, dumpy girls make good wives and mothers. Listen, first of all, it's quickly ascertained that maybe the coworker is paraphrasing the word dumpy. Like maybe he said an, another equally awful word. Can we stop? Stop. How on earth does that person have parents that raised him to say the word dumpy? Are you kidding me? And the me? thing is, Yarm won't say a bad thing about this piece of shit. And Scott totally. is trying to get buddy-buddy with Brad in I the know. break room. Talking shit about Yarm. And then, like, fuck that. That is so stupid. They're trying to find anything they can to say that their marriage wasn't perfect because they hid all of their fights. Juan Martinez, the prosecutor, it basically, he's got everything but motive, and that's what we're doing here. So there's, like, another whole thing about, like, unforgivable sin that one of the court psychologists wrote down, and there's the implication that maybe she was cheating on him, and that's why he had to kill her. None of it matters because on June 25th, 1999, the jury is out for only eight hours. Too long. Too long. Before we get the actual verdict, Connie Chung sits down with the jurors and we meet them. We meet six of them. The best part is Connie Chung's got to spill the tea and start the shit because basically Scott and the attorney are like, well, these people were too dumb to be able to understand the evidence. The science of sleepwalking. They're too stupid. Personally, I find that extremely insulting. Yes. Yes. That's very insulting. I guarantee you that my lack of education had nothing to do with a guilty verdict. What convicted Scott for later was the preponderance of evidence, and that was it. You guys, why did you sit down for this interview? And, like, I understand that Connie Chung is seductive, and if she wants to talk to me, <laughs> I'll talk to her about anything she wants. Wow! When was the last time you think Connie heard someone describe her as seductive? That's very nice of the you. The thing is, I, if I murdered somebody and Connie wanted to talk to me about it, I'd be like, yes, you can have the exclusive, but I'm trading you question for question. She'd be like, why did you do it? I'd be like, what did Tanya smell like? Right, so... After all the character witnesses, he gets life without parole. So we jumped to January 2021, and I'm like, wait, why are we here? Like, why is 2020 revisiting this? Is there new information? There's no new information. No. But basically, this correspondent, Amy Robach, gets to, like, speak to Scott. And she's saying that's very unusual because Arizona doesn't usually allow inmates to do TV interviews. And so he's like, yeah. He goes, well, you know, I have no plans to go anywhere but here, meaning no. prison. <laughs> yeah, Scott, we know. And then he kind of rolls back the sleepwalking thing? Is that yes. did you, right? Have your thoughts changed at all about what you believe happened that night? I cannot swear on a stack of Bibles that I was sleepwalking. All I can say is I do not know what happened. He knows he did it. He knows yeah. he fucking did it. And he knows he was like wide awake for it, you know? Yeah. And then like the last thing we learn is that A, Scott is teaching parenting classes in jail. That seems like a mistake. Uh, barf. <laughs> 
And then also Juan Martinez, he's the same prosecutor that got Jody Arias. He was brought up on sexual misconduct allegations and just agreed to be disbarred. <laughs> like, what if he didn't agree? They should have just disbarred him anyway. What do you mean he agreed? I don't care what his thoughts on the matter are. He's trash. <laughs> and end of story. Open and shut. Oh, my God. We did. What, what is this called? While he was sleeping. While he was sleeping, you guys. This one was bananas right from the beginning. I was like, this fucking piece of shit did it. No question oh, about it. full of shit. I mean, have you ever seen someone? I mean, yes, we have. It's our job <laughs> to see on a weekly basis people who are full of shit. But this guy was pretty. Ugh. You guys, if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 300 full ad-free bonus episodes. So download a bitch right the second. You get them all the second you sign up. You get ad-free versions of these episodes. You get after parties. We send you stuff in the mail. So many reasons to join the Pates. Yeah, we have fun. It's really, it's a party. It is a party. It is. You're all invited. You're all invited. Also, you guys get in the Facebook group. Meet Sasha. She handles all things Facebook for TCO. I want to remind you, we are playing Broadway on April 11th. If you have tickets, please come. If you have tickets and you can't come, we have a pinned post in the Facebook group for you to find people who want to buy your tickets. We don't want to play to an empty house. That's my worst fear, girl. No, no, no. no. And you'll meet friends if you're going solo. Uh, Maybe you can meet a friend there. But also, this isn't the place to, like, make a profit. We're going to, Sasha is moderating it, and they're going to make sure that everything's on the up and up because we don't want any bullshit. Girl, what are we doing next? We are doing Murder by the Coast on Netflix. I don't know this one. Tell me everything. Is it a lesbian love affair gone bad? Is it a wrongful (laughs) conviction? You decide. Let's go on this journey together, shall we? All right, you guys, stay tuned for the trailer for that. Our funny, hilarious outtake. Say it with me. TM, 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 TM. That's trademark, everybody. Trademark, guys. Yeah, because we invented outtakes. We love you guys. super hilarious and funny outtakes. That was us the very first time. All right, bye. It was a very major case which had ripped the nation. Sonia goes missing. Wow, not another girl going missing. The key was we need to get a DNA sample from this man. And of course there was a twist because someone had already been convicted. So this made it even more of a story. What value is put on women's lives astounds me sometimes. Oh my god. Um I'm my dad just texted me. My dad is on a plane right now. He just texted me the worst thing anyone could ever text me. I'm up We're I'm going up. down. No, mayday, mayday. Worse. Worse. <laughs> I'm at 30,000 feet right now with the with the cool guy sunglasses emoji, oh dad. <laughs> Jillian Pentavalli does not like planes, you guys. I don't. She doesn't like them. I'm going to focus so, on this piece of shit though. I promise. Okay. Imagine if you could see me sitting crouched for <laughs> Crotch first, crotch first. Everybody walk crotch first. So fit you, it was like back before we had to worry about checking our texts and emails every five fucking seconds. What was this, like 1864? Yes. It doesn't happen a lot, but there are what? certain moments where we the age difference between you and me really becomes apparent. <laughs> I think they're like actually at the Grand Canyon. No, they're in Sedona, Arizona. They they're at like oh. the Red Rocks or whatever. Look at those big rocks. I'm like, oh, it's the Grand Canyon. <laughs> 